We design a tool, and then by using that tool, we come into a relationship with that tool that then changes the nature of what we do in the world and the nature of our thoughts. Hey folks, I want to bring your attention to a product developed by a Navy SEAL friend of mine who is a doctor. Uh, first he was a SEAL, then he became a doctor, and then he went back and worked with the SEALs. His name is Doc Parsley. Some of you might have heard of him by now. We call him the sleep doc. All these SEALs were starting to come to him and, and you know, with these symptoms that looked like adrenal fatigue. And so he started treating adrenal fatigue and he realized that the common denominator with all these guys that they weren't sleeping. It's a pretty big problem in military spec ops with the pace of operations and combat. And these guys were just all out of whack. Cortisol was racing their body. Their hormones were depleted. And, dep you know, they had the essentially the, the testosterone level of 13-year-old girls is the way he jokes about it. They had a big problem. And what he found is that they were working out like madmen, but they're putting on weight. Their, you know, cognitive level was like they were drunk. Anyways, they were, they had this perception that they could perform, but they just couldn't perform anymore. And it was a real problem. So he identified that the common denominator was lack of sleep. So even an hour of not enough sleep a night over the course of a year is going to lead to 14 pounds of weight gain and could degrade your performance by up to 30%. Throws your testosterone, your growth hormones, in, in insulin sensitivity all out of whack. And it's going to create emotional uh, instability, decision-making um, challenges, impulse uh, control challenges, and decrease your willpower. Basically, your prefrontal cortex is compromised. So... What he did is he, he went around and he, and, he, and he said, go buy this, buy this, buy this, and then, you know, start taking it and it worked. And so they said, well, this is a pain in the neck to buy all this. Can you, can you put it all together into one thing? And so that became Doc Parsley's sleep remedy. I tried this recently at our Unbeal Mind Summit and it worked really, really well. I, I kid you not. Like I took it and I fell asleep within 20 minutes and uh, I didn't have any grogginess when I woke up. I thought it was great stuff. So, um... I told him I wanted to uh, let my folks know about it, let you know people who are listening to this podcast know about it. And he offered everyone a 10% off. So if you want to try Doc Parsley's Sleep Re Remedy, uh, which is essentially a, it's just a supplement. It's a nutritional supplement. It's all natural stuff, which creates a normal cascade of the physiological things that are supposed to happen when um, you're going to go to sleep. But a lot of us don't have that cascade or don't have that stuff happening anymore because of our lifestyle. So this will kind of stimulate um, proper, you know, preparation for sleep and, and, the, and the sleep cycles. Um, he has an unlimited, no questions asked, money back guarantee. Um, you can't beat that. So go to docparsley.com, D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y.com and use the code unbeatablemind, all one word, all, all one word, unbeatablemind when you check out to get 10% off. And uh, highly recommend it. Hooyah. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind podcast. This is Mark Devine, and I'm super stoked that you join me today. As you know, I do not take it for granted. There are 100 billion, million, gazillion things vying for your attention, far too many. And the fact that you're listening to this is huge. I mean, I'm very humbled. So thank you very much. Our guest today is going to rock your world. Um, Super, super excited to introduce you to Jason Silva. But before I do, uh, I mentioned on the last podcast that this year I'm dedicating a sh shit ton of my time, resources, and pain 
to try to raise awareness for and money for veterans who are suffering from post-traumatic stress. If you didn't know this stat, then you need to know it, that 22 vets are committing suicide every single day. I mean, that is just unreasonable and unsatisfactory to me. And as much as the VA system intends to do good, they're, you know, they're not doing much help. So um, we've committed, I've committed to organize a team. I'm hoping to have, I'm expecting to have a thousand people join me. We've already well uh, close to a hundred and we're going to do 22 million burpees this year, 22 million burpees. And um, I've committed to a hundred thousand of those. I'm going to exceed that probably by 10,000, but I'm committed to a hundred thousand doing them in chunks of 300 a day. Plus I'm going to do some other larger blocks later on. And um, we already have a commitments for up to 5 million of the burpees. And the way this will work, you're going to go to burpeesforvets.com if you want to join me or create a team that's going to join us and just enroll yourself or enroll your team. Or you could just pledge me. If you're like, I'm not doing any burpees, but I'll pledge for you, Mark. Then pledge, you know, whatever you want. It could be a, a half a cent of burpee or I'm pledging 10 cents of burpee. So I've got 10,000 in. I'll probably put more in. But I want to really, the, the point is to raise awareness and money. And then we're going to do some direct impact work with these vets because they really need help. So enough said on that. Go to burpees for that's burpees, F-O-R-Vets.com. Cool. So Jason Silva, I'm going to give like a really brief intro. Um, the best way to, to introduce Jason is for you to go to YouTube um, or just Google Jason Silva and whatever the first video that pops up, just watch it. And trust me, you won't be disappointed. What a creative genius. Uh, Jason is from Venezuela. He's a, a, a documentary, documentation or documentary, I guess is the right word, filmmaker, um, studied that down in uh, Florida, University of Miami. Um, but he, what he does now is just really, really radical intersection of his pure creative genius, his, tech, his, his interest in technology and in neurobiology and spirituality. And it's, it's just awesome. All right. And he's won an Emmy Award for uh, his work as a television host. He's a motivational speaker. In fact, he's coming to us now from CES in Vegas. He's committed some time. He's got a big speech after this. Uh, we're super stoked to have him. Jason, thanks so much, man. I, I really appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be on your podcast. Thanks for that. Yeah, me too. I mean, we got, we got a ton of stuff to talk about. I don't even really know where to begin. Um, but, but I like to, you know, before we get into like cool stuff that you want to talk about, you know, unbeatable mind folks are always really interested in people, uh, and what got, like what inspired you to break out into your genius. So what, where did that come from? Like what, how did you go from like, probably, you know, this kid in Venezuela who, you know, was wondering what his future was. And all of a sudden now you're, you're hosting that geo show called brain games. You've got this incredibly popular YouTube channel, you know, and you're speaking at CES. So how, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, I, I think I, it's all rooted, I think in, in, in being a kind of anxious kid with uh, an interest in many things, uh, particularly in ideas. And, you know, there's a wonderful book by Ernest Becker called The Denial of Death, which roots, uh, roots the human condition or the, the source of our existential angst in this kind of uh, 
sort of unbearable awareness of our mortality, that the crux of the human condition, the source of our dread comes in this like unique awareness that we are mortal beings. And so when you, mm-hmm. this, this epidemic of anxiety and depression nowadays, it's because people have no outlets for their angst. And, and there was an interesting section in the book where he talks about the difference between the neurotic and the creative. And he said that both the neurotic and the creative are extremely sensitive and, and open to being overwhelmed by the world, right? The mm-hmm. error of creation itself. Uh, mm-hmm. The difference is that the neurotic chokes on his introversions and the creative takes in the world with similar intensity, but reworks it into his art. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. you know, if, if I was to psychoanalyze myself as a kid, you know, I... My mother is a teacher and a creative. I grew up in a very creative household full of art and poetry and books. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was a neurotic kid. I'm a child of divorce. I experienced a sense of loss and fear and a loss of safety at a very young age. And so that anxiety, that neuroses um, had to be channeled somehow. And I mm-hmm. for me, the, what I fell in love with media and video was it was an opportunity to document and lose myself in the exploration of big ideas. And so I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with immortalizing uh, inspiration, immortalizing uh, the things that I was passionate about. And in that, that urge for documentation provided a relief from myself. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you could say that my interest today in flow states and altered states of consciousness and all the science of, of, of that space, uh, you know, if, if I was to retrace my steps, it's something that's always been there. I've always thought yeah. relief from my anxiety. And uh, Right. Were these any conversations that your family had or was this all your own, you know, your own personal journey through, you know, reading and, and self-discovery? I mean. You know, this, this passion for, you yeah. know, well, I mean, human I, I, nature. I, I, I was just, I was always, I was always wired for big ideas and therefore for anxiety. You know, I think I, I was I was obsessed with mortality as a from as a, as a young kid. You know, I was terrified of the prospect of my parents getting older and dying. I was terrified at the prospect that maybe God didn't exist. I was terrified at the prospect of like, you know, what does this all mean at the end of the day? You know, I was just like hungry for meaning. I was, you know, this idea that this urge for ultimate explanation, for signification. I was, I was, you know, I was a little kid. I was obsessed with science fiction and black holes and time travel. And I, I, <laughs> I know everything. I remember reading like A Wrinkle in Time. I used to be obsessed with like Michael Crichton books. I read like Jurassic Park. I read Sphere. I read all these, just like, I don't know. I, I was obsessed with intellection. I was obsessed with like, I, actually, I was told this once by um, Diana Slattery, who's the author of this book on, alien languages called xenolinguistics you know she spoke to me for a while and she said that you're a cognitive ecstasy addict <laughs> that was really interesting. you know i was going to ask you about that term because Allison had put that in my show notes what the heck is cognitive ecstasy most of the people experience cognitive things are thought as kind of a, a pain or challenge or a little bit of effort well i think i think cognitive ecstasy in my opinion is when the dots connect and you experience subjectively a sense of apprehension or revelation. So yeah, like a crystallization or a breakthrough. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah Berlin used to say, or wrote to understand is to perceive patterns, you know, Carl Sagan, yeah, right. Carl Sagan said, understanding is a kind of ecstasy. You know, when you, when you listen to Carl Sagan, 
contemplating the cosmos. It's 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 almost like the guy's ejaculating in all- <laughs> you know, like I guess he's- Yeah, I know what you mean. He's a trip. I love this. Yeah, you know, if you merge ecstasy and ejaculation, you have ecstaculation. That's almost like what you hear Carl Sagan. Or there's a guy called Gordon Wasson. Gordon Wasson was a sort of amateur mycologist. He's had an interest in fungi. And he was the first Westerner who went down to Mexico and took psilocybin mushrooms with Maria Salina, the famous sort of shaman. And of course, that ended up, you know, his account of that experience was that life, the Life magazine cover story that popularized magic mushrooms. Um, Mm. And I remember a line about his account of that experience. He said he spent the entire evening uttering ejaculations of amazement. <laughs> okay, so you know that to me. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a big lover of quotes, and the reason for that is because I'm obsessed with finding parallel accounts of my experiences. So yeah, I want like I want to vet my curiosity. I want to vet my astonishment. I want to vet my hunger for meaning from other brilliant thinkers, you know, and, right, and in sure. the same way that a religious person might have a, a line from the Bible to cite every time they come across right. an ex- interesting experience in the world that they want to explain. I, I, I guess you could call me a version of that, except my source code is not the Bible, but all these intellectuals, other humans that I've stumbled yeah. across. And so, you know, when I hear Gordon Wasson said he spent the night uttering ejaculations of amazement, that makes me think of Carl Sagan and his book Contact, when the Ellie Arroway character finally goes through the wormhole sees a celestial event and says they should have sent a poet. I'm like, okay, that sounds like the same thing. Whether it's, whether it's <laughs> eating magic awesome, mushrooms man. or taking a spaceship to the other side of the cosmos and said they should have sent a poet, both of those experiences, whether it's internal or whether it's space exploration, get yeah. get to the crux, get to the, 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 the agony and ecstasy of the human conundrum, the human condition, and this desire for ultimate meaning and ultimate explanation. You know, the line by F. Scott Fitzgerald, and I, and I always recite these same lines because they speak so vividly to me, but F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, wrote about the, when Dutch sailors first discovered the New World, right? So try to imagine that for a second, right? Like, you're, you just crossed the continent and you came across, you, you just crossed the ocean, you just came across a new continent for the first time, right? So you have this experience of, like, actually witnessing a new world. Like, few of us will ever have that experience because we mapped yeah. Earth. So until we go to, until we go to Mars... We don't get to have that experience of discovering a new world, but these right. tailors did. And so he, his line goes. Unless you want to talk about imagined worlds. Right? Well, there You're you talking go. about physical worlds. Well, there you go. But the, the line that he said was, um, man must have held his breath, compelled mm. to an aesthetic contemplation he neither understood nor desired, face to face for the last time in history with something commensurate to his capacity for wonder. So I hear like something like that. And I'm like, okay, I want some of that. So you could argue mm. that like, Ultimately, I'm probably I could probably be reduced to being like a dopamine addict. I just I just like the feeling of novelty and like yeah. and like the dots connecting and having a new sense of revelation and something that hints at being on to something. And by yeah, the way, yeah, totally. that's you know that's Walker Percy's quote. You know, to become aware of the possibility of the search is to be on to something, and not to mm. be on to something is to be in despair. Yeah. Mm. So whatever that is, that's that's my fuel. It always has been my fuel. And what my videos ultimately are, they're my ecstatic probings and rantings. No different than, you know, a, a writer or an ecstatic or a romantic poet, you know, going to the forest and then writing his reveries. You know, it, it's that, but it's verbal. Yeah. That's my source code. Yeah. I, 
I am just, um, you know, everyone's got their tapestry. Everyone's got their genius, you know, and I, you know, I think mine is really in front of people training them. And, but I, I'm just like, I geek out in this stuff too, just like you. Like I geek out on sci-fi because I, I want to imagine new worlds. I want to imagine what it's like to live on Mars. And I got to tell you, you know, I love authors just like you who can open up that world. And I, I, I just got into listening to audiobooks and I stumbled upon, across this um, audiobook that came in three parts. So it's actually three audiobooks by Dennis Taylor and it's called We Are, um, we Are Legion. <laughs> Anyways. Um, doesn't ring a bell. It might to some people, but it, it like, it just blew my mind, literally like this intersection of what it means to be human in a future of rapidly accelerating technologies on us all. And this author takes us out hundreds of years and just nails it. Yeah. And anyways, one of the things that I, I was looking speaking of quotes, I'm reading a quote that you said, I think, is that everything we design designs us in return. Mm. And I feel like that, you know, humanity is kind of like that. Like we design something, then ultimately we become what we design or we're, we're crafted by what we design. So who's designing who, Jason? Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, the, what is this? there's that, there's that uh, Kevin Kelly line that says that we are the sex organs of technology. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like the bee pollen. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, for sure. I mean, that that idea came to, you know, I, I used to be obsessed or still am with um, Marshall McLuhan. Mar yeah. Marshall McLuhan's famous line is, you know, you build the tools and then the tools build us in return. Um, yeah. And, and I remember, yeah, and then this is actually an insight into into my sort of the way that I think. I, I, I do believe that I'm an associational thinker and that I think in terms of patterns. I think in terms of yeah. Yeah. that's the that's the kind of creativity that I think I, I sort of have a proclivity for. Yeah, most people say that at least at a, as a starting point that you're right brain, right? You're not a linear thinker. You're a pattern recognizer. Yeah. Total pattern recognizer. And yeah. so, but, but, and so, and, 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 and also a control freak. So like I'm obsessed with mind mapping those patterns, like linking them together right. is important. So you, so it starts with something like, okay, you talk about what we design designs us back. So the, probably the first time I came across that idea was we build the tools and the tools build us. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and from this, then this notion that what we design designs us in return, um, came from stumbling upon this concept known as ontological design. So it's this idea that like, there are these feedback loops between ourselves and our designs in that we design a tool and then by using that tool, we come into a relationship with that tool that then changes the nature of what we do in the world and the nature of our thoughts you know, like you give somebody a hammer and then everything looks like a nail. Um, right. But then it's our actions with those tools lead to then the creation of new tools in the world. And then those tools change our behavior also because they equip us with the cap capability of doing new things. And then by doing new things, those new things affect us in turn. And so it becomes like this self-amplifying feedback loop. And that's right. like the nature of the man-machine civilization. And from that, one can gather actually that we are a hybrid of biological and non-biological parts, which right. is something that was explored by Andy Clark and David Chalmers in the book Natural Born Cyborgs. This is an interesting right. idea because, again, it, it comes to tell us that we are, we are more than just we, – we, we exceed our skin tissue. You know, we are our buildings. We are – the colors on the wall. We are the language we speak. We are our interactions with other people. Like the whole thing is 
is mind. And we're sort of inhabiting the condensation of human imagination. We're living inside of our own create. Right. And so our creations are part of our skin. Yeah, that's fascinating. The Halo Neurostimulation System will help you to push boundaries and to perform at your maximum capacity. Now, I'm often testing new products here at Unbeatable Mind, and Halo is the most recent that I've tested. And I felt it absolutely needed to be passed on to the tribe. It's a neurostim device that electrically stimulates the movement centers in your brain. It helps you to move better and faster through neuroplastic adaptation. It's as simple to use as downloading an app and plugging in headphones and then sticking them on your head. Use it for 20 minutes and then you go do your movement or your workout. Now Halo, the company, has graciously offered to give a discount to Unbeatable Mind listeners. If you go to haloneuro.com and at checkout use the code UNBEATABLEMIND125, which will give you $125 off a Halo Sport model. That's an unbelievable offer. So use unbeatable mind one two five at haloneuro.com, H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com to get $125 off. Very generous offer that they put together. Hope you check it out. Hoo-yah. You know what? You're bringing up thoughts of like, you know, the matrix and this fact, you know, this, this, this theory that there's a 0% chance, probabilistic chance that we're not in a simulation. And I've often thought, that, you know, with, you know, the approaching acceleration tech, singularity, AI, you know, creating Android type uh, body parts. And then eventually, you know, this, this drive to like, kind of recreate the immortal human is going to end up discovering that um, biology is actually the most effective means, right? (laughs) And so we end up going from biology to kind of like, uh, you know, matter back to biology or other kind of matter back to biology. Anyways, that was a really distant thought, but no, no, but I, amazing. Um, I think, I think what's interesting about that is, um, you know, I remember, I remember when I read Andy Clark's book, natural born cyborgs Yeah, talked about us getting over our skin bag bias. And right. the, the whole idea was that, the mind as it is today, you know, we tend to think that, you know, mind is this emergent property from the brain. And certainly a lot of it runs is software that does run in the brain, but that he says right. mind actually comes to be or exists in the feedback loops between brains, tools, and environments. Mm, interesting. He, they, they wrote, also wrote the extended mind thesis. So they would point to something like a smartphone in your pocket and say that that's an extension of your cognition. That that's part, sure. part of your cognitive apparatus, that you do part yeah. of thinking through the uh, transactional interfacing you have with your phone, no different right. than like a piece of paper and a pen used to be. You know, when you write. Right. Something, no, I've heard Ray Kurz thinking that as well, that example. Yeah, like part yeah. of your thinking is spilling over into the page and then you're reading what you wrote and right. changing your thoughts and so on and so forth. And so right. I think from from that idea, what you gather is that our perception of ourselves is quite limited, if that makes sense, you know, that we are more than meets the eye. And also when people talk about things like sort of mind uploading and downloading our consciousness into computers, we fail to take into account how much of our consciousness is mediated by the fact that we are embodied and how much of cognition is embodied. You know, it's, it's, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I was thinking this whole idea mediates us and we mediate it and, Right. You know, it's like that book. I think there was a book by this guy called Out of Our Heads 
Do you remember that book? Uh-huh. It was basically saying the same idea that like consciousness, the way we have it can't really exist without being embodied and having constraints upon our embodiment. Right. So much of who we are is that. Right. Well, you know, that that lines up very well with, you know, ancient Eastern master teaching, right? Who say that the the mind, you know, the soul merges with the mind and the mind is born into a body essentially or manifests in a body. Mm-hmm. And then and so you can't separate the mind from the body. It right. it is correct in throughout the body. Correct. And and that's one of the, the teachings that we teach on Beal Mind. So that's familiar to the listeners who, you know, listen to our stuff anyways. And, and so the the mind isn't the brain, uh, but the and the mind is partly the gut, partly the heart, partly you know the brain is the meaning maker, but it's actually your body. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty wild concept. It's your body, and I agree with you. You can't emulate that without. I mean, why would you? You know, you you, you can't emulate the human body into an artificial being. I, I just don't. Unless you unless you had you had a digital body, like you know that, that right, digital right. world. If you became a digital avatar, you'd have to be embodied in order to have the type of consciousness that you have now. Correct. Um, which is really interesting. But again, it also points to the fact that our tools and technologies that we build and that we engage with in our embodied existence change the nature of our consciousness too. Correct. Through using our tools, our behavior can change, right? This David Lenson, uh, was a comparative literature professor. He wrote a book about the phenomenology of drug use, and he introduced this concept that humans are a collaboration between subject and object, and that that's mm-hmm. one of the things that psychedelic drugs uh, make quite clear. You know, and mm-hmm. that 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 that's why set and setting matters when people take psychedelics. That's why Terence McKenna said, "You become what you behold," or people say, right. "Where are the some of the people you spend the most amount of time with?" Or when you right. put somebody in, in a uniform, their political views change. You know, right. that the words <laughs> you use to describe reality can change your perception of reality. This is right. interesting to me because it just goes to show you how much, I guess, how malleable subjectivity and mind are. And right. I guess the, the, the negative from, from that is, wow, so we, we don't really have free will or even a sense of self because we're this malleable construct. Um, but the positive side of it is, well, then we can exercise agency over that malleability. Right. It's like, well, once you realize your creative and linguistic choices shape your selfhood, then right. why not window dress your, your reality? Why not choreograph and stage design your world, you know, and having agency right. like that is kind of like that's ontological engineering. That's like right. using design and using the spaces that surround you to script your internal life, stewardship right. of internal life. And that's I'm, I'm sure that's something that's interesting to you as somebody who's in contemplative practices, because they're all seeking the same thing, which is kind of right. to, 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 to direct awareness and to direct consciousness. And right. contemplative practices emphasize inner strength for that. And I guess my interest in is the external cues that help mediate that. So how do I, how do I shape my externalities to govern my interior world? Right. Yeah. And, and there's only so much you can control, but then, you know, so, so controlling the environment just by putting yourself in environments that are going to uh, facilitate that kind of extra, you know, that yeah. experience of life you want. That's one thing. And then the language is another structure. And right. so you change, change the language that'll change the experience. And right. then the imagery is another structure. And I think that's, what's amazing about what you're doing is, you know, when I grew up, l- let me use a quick example. I, I, I had this thought that I wanted to be a SEAL when I was 20 
one or so. I, I didn't join until I was like 24. I was a CPA on Wall Street. I mean, craziest thing to go from that to that. But uh, it, it was because I created the thought and then the image in my mind that I could be a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. The only digital evidence that I had that these guys even existed was a really shitty recruiting video. I mean, it was awesome in its message, but shitty in its production quality mm-hmm. called Be Someone Special. And it was the SEALs recruiting video. And that's all I had. Wow. And so with that, right, watching that like six or eight times, I was able to then insert myself into that image and see myself actually being a SEAL, doing the work. And it felt good. And in fact, and it felt I was so drawn to it that I began to feel like an alien in my daily job. And I felt more at home in my morning visualization sessions when I went into the future and said, here I am playing Navy SEAL. And most people think, well, that's just fucking fantasy, Mark. And you know what happened? Nine months later, I literally had this like this really strong sensation that my destiny was laid out before me. Mm-hmm. My recruiter called a week later, said, Mark, you got into OCS, you're going to BUDS. And when I showed up at BUDS, I felt like I was home and like I had been there before. That is an example, I think, that of what you're saying is I, you know, I created the reality in my mind's eye, but I didn't have a lot of imagery because we didn't have it back in the 80s, yeah. you know? Yeah. Nowadays, it, it, like through your work and the others and just tech in general and, and uh, Netflix and Amazon, yeah. unbelievable imagery, the possibilities. I mean, yeah. people's minds must be blowing up right now with just the possibilities, you know, 100%. changing the human race. Well, yeah. I mean, your creative and linguistic choices govern your fate. I mean, for sure. Right. It's like once you realize that you can be mediated and that your awareness can be steered, you can take a- active steps to steer, right. to steer your actions and your awareness towards certain ends. It's it's kind of like right. well, if, uh, a brief example might be something like psycho cybernetics, which you've probably heard about. So George, sure. George Carlin has this wonderful interview with a comedian um, where he's talking about um, some of his how he attained success in his career. And he said that he read that book, Psycho-Cybernetics, and, and realized yeah. very quickly that the brain is a goal-seeking mechanism that works through priming and through patterns. Mm-hmm. Program goals and, and patterns into your brain and then like let your subconscious do the work for you to create opportunity in your life. Right. So he would say something about like the first impression might be like an initial idea that he has of what he wants, you know, some in- interesting insider idea. That's impression number one. Impression number two would be writing it down. Impression number three would be reviewing what you wrote later that day or the next day. And that's already like three, four impressions. You know, at that point, you kind of digested that into your subconscious. And then mm-hmm. the next day you go out into the world and all these like serendipities and synchronicities start showing up related to that idea. Like everywhere you go, you overhear a word related to that notion or you stumble right. across something on the street. And people think that that's like, you know, magical thinking. Oh, the secret. Oh, I'm attracting that into my life. Yeah, <laughs> right. less, than, less interesting yeah. interpretation in my mind. More interesting interpretation is the world is full of clues and you can read your way through it. Like there's an infinite boundless amount of data in the world. A lot of that data is, can serve your needs if you've primed your subconscious, which can process more information than your conscious mind anyway, to look look out for those patterns that can serve you. Just a form of self-hypnosis or like programming yourself or maybe neuro-linguistic programming, whatever it may be. But then you've primed your brain so that the things that you need start showing up. And from a conscious perspective, right. it feels like serendipity. It feels like, oh, right. there's signs everywhere. And I would say that yeah, very much like my, my whole career uh, had to do with that because I think every act of recording a video in a way was an act of priming. 
Every time mm-hmm. I recorded something about how much I love an idea or I wanted to cr- do this or I wanted to create that, like, yeah, it turned into a video, but it also turned into programming my subconscious brain to, to, to for that to then show up in my life the next day, you know? And so my, my mm-hmm. life has been a series of synchronicities and serendipities. And I, I think that that has definitely facilitated me getting to this point. I mean, to be a kid yeah. in Venezuela who wanted to travel the world as a philosopher, literally, and wanted to take my video camera with me anyway, everywhere, to then making, you know, to creating shots of awe and to traveling the world as a keynote speaker and talking about technology. I mean, it's like literally you watch videos of me in high school, stoned out of my mind. (laughs) And it's like, it's exactly what I'm living through today. But that, but those same technologies to prime your brain towards achieving what you want can also be leveraged for purely aesthetic purposes, right? And Mm -hmm. I think this is something that I've been living through today. So rather than just saying like, these are my goals or this is what I want to attain. I, I get caught up in like the creation of perfect moments and perfect scenarios. It's like, how can mm-hmm. I leverage these very same principles of like creating my reality for purely aesthetic ends? Like how do yeah. I manufacture peak experience for myself? Where do yeah. I put myself? What music needs to be playing? What people do I need to be with? What mind altering substance do I need to throw into the mix to manufacture an epiphany? And this is where my yeah. flow states come in. You know, it used to be all, Leveraging these tools and techniques for career purposes, for the attainment of right. goals. But now yeah. the goals have become purely aesthetic. Can we mix the two? I mean, this is one of the things I love that you're saying this because I've been playing with this. Is like everything occurs in our mind in this present moment anyways. It's just whether we're projecting into the future or the past or we're right here and right now. So you're you're describing using these tools for a, for a future accomplishment or a future state versus using them to have a a flow or ecstasy or like radical present moment experience. I think they're both important, don't you? I think they're both hugely important, but I think that when you're in your early twenties, you're caught up in figuring out a career that then is fulfilling and financially sustainable. And you're taking your future self into account as an important person in your life. Just have needs. Now, you know, you'll have needs in the future. Um, once you attain some kind of success, financial success, career success, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So I had the the hit TV show for five seasons, brain games, you know, all over the world. Oh, I got the Emmy nomination. Oh, I'm a keynote speaker and I get paid to speak all over the world. You got nothing else to prove. Well, that could lead to an existential crisis, right? Because (laughs) I I now get caught up now that I'm in my mid thirties, like trying to seek find the next like hit TV show to sustain or like, you know, you can get caught up in that trap or you can steer a a focus more to like, okay, well I'm in my mid thirties. So the future is not this like deferrable thing that I have to work towards attaining. Now I'm I'm actually more interested in time stopping experiences. Now I want to step away from like mechanized cognition and be tied to the tyranny of time because now I'm like, you know, four years from now I'll be 39. Who the fuck was that? You know, I'm not interested in heaven forbid. Oh my god! You know, how, do so I, how do I? Yeah. How do I? How do I? How do I carve out some time? How do I carve out some time to be outside of time? How do I carve out a week in which time won't exist? Like that has become what I'm interested in now. Because if I get caught up still in like, what do I want to attain moving into the future? Then I start feeling like I'm in that people mover that's carrying everyone else towards death. Like now I want to stop that people mover. I want to step out outside of that people mover. Yeah. Well, the yogis would say time is all perception anyway. So, you know, you, you know, just perceive that 
everything is present and you know, there you have, it doesn't mean your body won't get older though. Right. And you may get bored shitless eventually. So I, I'm not sure that works. Yeah. Well. I mean that, that, that's also true. That's also true. But it's just like, it's just like, especially when you've had any success as a creative person, you always, you, you kind of, you, you always feel like you were successful in spite of yourself. Right, because of yourself, like, like especially with the monkey mind and the inner chatter and the self doubt and the imposter syndrome, I'm like, holy shit! I I may have been kicking and screaming in fear, but somehow something inside of me pulled it out, you know, pushed forward, and 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 I did what I needed to do to get to where I am. But like, yeah. what's crazy is thinking like getting caught up in the loop of like, well, will I be able to sustain it? Or will I be able to continue being as creative as I was? Or, you know, like, or what is it that I want next? You know, because when you, right. when, when, when all the attainment is in front of you, then what you want is clear. It's like, well, you, right. you want to, you know, I remember when I first started doing my shots of awe videos, it's like, I was, it was so clear what I wanted to do. Now that I've done so many of them, I'm like, well, God, I wish that I had something that I want as vividly and intensely as I wanted what I wanted before. Right. This podcast is supported by Qualia, brought to you by the Neurohacker Collective. Qualia is a nootropic, that's a brain supplement essentially, that will help you reach your full potential cognitively. Now, I love this product. I use it every day. And when I run out, I feel like I'm, you know, maybe missing out. When I take the Qualia, I'm able to think more clearly and I feel more focused and engaged. You know, it really also helps me when I'm tired and overwhelmed get back into my game. I think Qualia is a breakthrough product and the ingredients are all extremely high quality and they cover a broad spectrum of neurological capacities. So you're going to have to check it out and research it for yourself, but the best way to do that is to actually try it. And Qualia, the team over there, has offered you a 15% off the price of a monthly subscription. That is awesome. I mean, that is, is extremely generous. So if you want to get 15% off and try out Qualia, then go and get a monthly subscription. Just try it out for a couple months using the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R. Don't forget the R. UNBEATABLEMIND15R. And it's sold at their website, neurohacker.com. N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. Neurohacker.com. Use the code unbeatablemind 15R to get 15% off that monthly subscription. Check it out. I think this stuff is awesome to support your training in developing an unbeatable mind. Hooyah. Well, not everything's meant to last forever, you know? And, and I think we, we tend to think that. Like we created an organization, we created something, and we're like, this is supposed to go on forever. But when, it run, when it's run as creative course, it's oftentimes let it go, I think. Sure. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Then the existential question when you wake up in the morning is like, what is pulling me forward? What not? Because, you know, right. you want exactly. something. Like, I remember, I always think of like hustling as being like the equivalent of like, like, you know, when a dog's in heat and then like the, the, ma- mm. the male dog like jumps behind the dog in heat and tries to hump it all day, you know? Um, <laughs> so hustling is like that. It's like you're, it's like you're the male, you're the male dog. And, <laughs> And what you want is like the female dog in heat and you're right. trying to hump her all the time. When you become successful, uh, all of a sudden the dog in heat is not there anymore, 
but you still have the compulsion to hustle, but you're not sure what you're hustling for anymore because you've already attained what you wanted. So you're like the male dog that, you know, you remove the dog in heat, but the male dog is still thrusting the air. Like, <laughs> like he's still moving his pelt. In right. The That's a this is, this is where I love the idea of the yin and the yang or the, you know, generation and recovery. It's like, you know, generation is that male dog, but you know, you can't do that forever, right? You literally will burn out. So you have to build into your life like moments of yin, moments of just pure nothingness, you know, nature time, yeah. doing nothing, ending projects and not jumping right in the next one. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard thing for Westerners to learn. Oh, really? Oh, it's huge. And it's, and it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying because like, it is. because especially if you think, okay, like I've created every project you finish. You feel like it gets you to a new plateau and then you'll be able to relax. You tell yourself in this new plateau, I'll relax. But <laughs> you never do. Even the relaxation plateau is finite before you no longer feel like your past accomplishments mean anything. When, you're right. past, when, when the subjective sense that your past accomplishments are not sustaining the current plateau, then you start to feel like you're drowning, you know, and it's a very strange Interesting. because yeah. of course the, the, the always on, always new social media news feeds means if you're not at the top of the news feed, you're irrelevant. And if you're irrelevant, you're unsafe because you'll be socially rejected because nobody will give you money because all of a sudden, like, what yeah, if yeah. you sustain this thing? And then you start thinking, well, what if the whole system collapses? You know, what if the financial system collapses? What if the market, what if the world collapses? What am I going to do then? You know, like, <laughs> then it's like, okay, well, okay. I, what I really I want, the only, the only relief that I find from that is time stop in present moments. Yeah. And, you know, the, I had two last year that became like the new reference points for me. Like the, the, right. I have a, tell, tell me about those. We, we only have a few more minutes. So I want to, you know, maybe uh, some two things are in my mind right now before uh, you, you go off and do your speech, <laughs> which hopefully this helped prepare you for um, by getting your imagination flowing. But uh, one is how do we create a time stopping moment? Like if, I, if I'm listening to this as, you know, driving my car, I'm like, that's really interesting. How do I do that? How do you do that? Sure. And then two is what's your, what's your process for like gearing up for creativity? How do you get into flow state? What's, what's that look like for you? Yeah. Um, maybe they're the same actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, honestly, uh, I'm kind of addicted to the concept of, of awe, right? Like awe and wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were all these studies recently in like Berkeley and Stanford on the subject of awe. And they described awe as an experience of such perceptual expansion or such perceptual vastness that you have to reconfigure your mental models of the world to assimilate that experience. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole mm -hmm. point of having mental models of the world means that, you know, as you go from being a child to being an adult, you're assimilating all this information. And then you kind mm -hmm. of plateau. And the plateau is, is the been there's and done that's of the adult mind. I mean, nothing is really new anymore. And you're just relying on your mental maps of the world in order to orient yourself in the world. So that mm -hmm. you're not really getting new information from your environment because you're just relying on like automatic processes, like map right. byways of thought, so to speak. But when you have an experience of awe, what happens is, first of all, they're time stopping because all of a sudden, like you have to now make room for a new realization right? An ontological awakening. And I think that whether that's seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time or seeing images from the Hubble Space Telescope or really mm. contemplating space and time, like what I like about those time stopping moments of awe and wonder is that inside of those moments, 
the, 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 the cognitive ecstasy, the sense of reverential awe and wonder is kind of like having your way with God, even if you don't believe. And I'm, by the way, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a completely secular person, but I'll mm-hmm. use terminology like having your way with God because there's something, it's like absolution. It's like, it's like you're absolved of yourself and you're, you feel just like radiance and bliss and awe, like a poetic rhapsody, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're Blake. You're seeing the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild mm-hmm. flower infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. I had two days like that last year. One of them was riding electric electric bicycles in Copenhagen. Mm. Um, and I, rem- I I love novelty, right? So new mm-hmm. places, just, mm-hmm. just they, 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 they're the opposite of everything is familiar and therefore boring. Oh, they're, yeah. Such an expanding experience to go places new like that. They're yeah. pungent with meaning because they're pungent with new possibilities, right? Oh, I'm on to something. Oh, what does that cathedral mean? Oh, what's down that alley? Oh, how do people mm. live here? Oh, what's, what does it mean to be in Like all these exciting novel explorations, you know, it's like new interpretable information, which neuroscientists say we need to feel activated, to get mm. constant drips of new interpretable information. So you have travel, you have the bicycles. I'm from Copenhagen. I'm on electric bicycles. That means they have pedal assist. So it's like a frictionless flow, like flying. <laughs> urban environment um mm. and then of course we had a, a, a fan of my videos who was our guide so we didn't have we had, could offload the cognitive load of even deciding where to go we just follow him so every mm. novel no decision making is occurring and you're just taking in the environment like a virtual like you're in a virtual reality playground and nice. of course you add a little bit of cannabis which is fantastic experience <laughs> And then, and then, and then that provides also a little bit of the time stopping element, right? Because right. it's like your 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 sense impressions are filled, like a pool of sense impressions comes in, but then it's immediately drained by the next pool of sense impressions. Right, and you're not thinking anything, really. Well, you, you are. I mean, I, I'm always you thinking. have you have impressions that that flit through your mind, but it's going really fast. You're not actively trying to stop and solve a problem or think anything. No, no, but it's 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 what it is. It's like. Um, I would say the, the, the idea is that I'm like an instrument, right? Human beings are like an instrument. So I'm like a piano. And then the environment and the situation and the context that I put myself in, that's like the chord, okay? Mm-hmm. So like the world, I, I seek out a world that will provide melodic chords on my instrument, right? On my piano. Mm. Interesting. Um, and, and negative experiences are like horrendous chords, you know, out of key <laughs> and like really annoying and like they hurt to listen to Positive, beautiful experiences, novel experiences are like gorgeous melodic chords that you've never heard before, but they're totally enthralling. And then you know what the cannabis is? The cannabis is the sustain pedal. The cannabis mm-hmm. is the sustain pedal on the chord. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so I like to say that like I want to put myself in a state of openness and receptivity. I want to be in a highly suggestible state in a novel environment where there is flow. And then I want to hit the sustain pedal in the novel environment. And what mm. that does is it provides a particular aesthetic experience. David Lenson calls it a dialectical pattern of reconcilable estrangement with the world of everyday perception. It's <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like the experience that's congruent when when you're experiencing objects of beauty. There's a kind of strangeness. There's a kind of detachment that makes mm. you look at things deeper. The familiar becomes sublime. The familiar becomes new. Mm-hmm. I had the same experience on safari in South Africa. Being on the back of that Jeep during golden hour when the sun is setting and encountering a bunch of lions in nature felt biblical, felt archetypical, felt guarded, 
Eden-esque to me. Mm-hmm. In, that, in that radiance, like in that moment, there was such a relief from the incessant anxiety of being. And it was asked to something more pure. And once I pop out on the other side of that experience, all I want to do is write and make videos. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's kind of like, Whenever I get the anxiety of how, man, how do I stay creative? I have to remember that the creativity is what follows a transcendent experience. The creativity for me comes from reflecting upon the insights gained from a transcendent experience. And so really where I want to pool all my resources is into investing in transcendent experiences for myself. Because Mm -hmm. that's what will then lead to great work. Uh, that I can share with others. Yeah. Joseph Campbell said, you're not on a quest to save the world, but to save yourself. And in doing so, you save the world. Yeah. And so- I love that. So what, what about this year? What are the transcendent experiences you hope to create this year? Well, I, I want to do more travel, man. I, um, I, I, I have just realized that it's only when I'm in new places that I can- Become mm-hmm. a person, so to speak. You know, I don't know if you ever read Alan de Botton's book, The Art of Travel, but you know, he talks mm-hmm. about how it's not necessarily at home that we encounter our best selves. The mm-hmm. furniture doesn't change, and so it insists that we cannot change. Um, but like when you're in a new world, all of a sudden, new possibilities for yourself, for your life, for the future start to like bubble up. And it doesn't matter that you commit to those possibilities, but just the fact that they're there again goes back to the idea of being on to something. So what what I'm chasing is states of mind that are pregnant with possibility. That's mm-hmm. And if I chase states of mind that are pregnant with possibility and I can lose myself in those moments pregnant with possibility, I have to then trust the process that that will lead to new creativity and new serendipity. But if you ask me what my plan is, I don't fucking know. It's like when they asked, <laughs> if, they, if they asked the, uh, the, the head of Ted, Chris Anderson was once asked like, what's the future of the Ted conference? And he said, well, you know, the world changes so fast. We change so fast here at Ted. We don't have a map. We have a compass. I really yeah. like that. I like that too. Wow. Terrific. I think that's probably a good jumping off point because, um, any, anything further and we'll get down in the next rabbit hole and, and then you'll be late. So, Amazing work. Thank you so much. How So people just, I mean, if someone wants to find you, just Google Jason Silva is probably the best way, right? Do you have a particular um, thing, a place yeah, they'd like to go? I, 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 with you? If they can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Shots of Awe, um, or follow me Shots. on, yeah, Shots of Awe, or Facebook on Jason L. Silva is my Facebook page, or Jason L. Silva on Instagram, or Jason Silva on Twitter. Just, I'm all, right. all the social stuff. But on Facebook, I share a lot of video content all the time awesome 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 well really really appreciate your time today i look forward to meeting you in person uh, maybe creating some uh or participating in some transcendent experience together thank you that would be epic and um i appreciate what you what you do sir awesome and thanks very much good luck with your speech and uh, we'll see you around thanks man thank you all right jason thank you very much all right, folks, that was mind bending. Jason Silva, check him out. Jason L. Silva, Instagram, um, Facebook. I don't even know if you, I don't know if you said Instagram, actually. YouTube. <laughs> Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's probably the place. Shots of awe, S H O T S of awe. Wow, I'm in awe. Um, what a neat guy. Super cool. My mind is expanded just there in that conversation. I hope yours is as well. But stay focused on what you're doing. Uh, it's important every day, one day, one lifetime. Do the work. 
and uh, experience as much ecstasy in the moment as you can. Thanks for listening. Divine out. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UTT. Oh, oh, oh.